Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. That's the theme of the show. Uh, I haven't died once this week. It's been a good week. A friend of mine died a couple of days ago. Saddest thing, uh, you know, heart goes out to his kid. Great writer. Great, too. great writer. Great, writer. great sober guy. Sober before me. Uh, wasn't he? Anyways, his name is John Albert. He's a friend of me and Pete. Oh. And, and uh, had a heart attack and just uh, so sad. So been thinking about him. His mom lives here in Claremont. And uh, it's just so sad. He grew up here in Claremont. He knows this house. I was talking to him about this house. It's the house that I live in. It's kind of legendary. Um, well, it is now. <laughs> well, no. For Chrissy used to play. You don't know the history of this house? Chrissy no. used to play here. Her, her schoolmate lived in this house. Her mom owned it. Aww. And then uh, the Harpers live up the street. And john albert was friends with the harpers and a lot of pot was smoked by teenagers in this canyon apparently shocked shock yes. i'm shocked apparently it's a there's place. little <laughs> it's a little it is the, place it, dude that looks like a bear when you're launching your <laughs> marijuana career this is the canyon to be in mm-hmm. so it just i've thought about him for you know all day yesterday i found out from He's got a son so cute yeah and um you just never know that's why see i grew up around death and that's why i'm I'm always comfortable talking about it like i grew up in a nursing home in culver city still there if any of you want to check in my family still has the uh westover sanitarium if you want to sit and watch (laughs) tv until you die let's get over there um, <laughs> no, that's not a very good advertisement. Uh, I think I, I, I don't think you sold it. I haven't really um, gotten into my childhood. You wonder why I'm a junkie. So no, I went to the wait, wait so, before we do. I have a question about these lyrics, and I'm going to play this Thelonious Monster song, and we've played this song many a times, me and you. And you want to know what the lyrics are? I just want to. I want to know. I want to know what, what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it's a, it, it, to me, I don't know. I, I love this. Anyways, here you okay. go. Recognize. Got up this morning to go to court. Yes, It's a great song, man. Just getting it. Hey, let's listen to it. Yeah, there we go. Pete White. Well, nothing ever changes and probably never will. The harder I keep trying, the more I'm the change the rules. Every time I get around, it ends up being wrong. And all the things I figured out don't mean much at all. Now it's just ignorance or deals with four brick walls or damn Step forward, we take seven, stay fast. You got a hang tough. Yeah, baby, you got a hang tough. You got a hang tough. 
times ahead of its time. plain and simple you gotta hang tough you don't give up no matter what the reason why i wanted to play that was because that was kind of our mantra you know what i mean like really yeah, no matter what got, no matter what happened back then when we were on tour Just fucking carry on fucking people you know throwing shit at us fucking riots fight yeah no, yeah, there was, it no, all came back know, to like the next morning. Just hang tough, man. Let's get on with it, you know. Let's get on with it, and and it's. I think it's why we're all still persevering. Like I don't know, it's just it's not the millennial mantra. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> but it had a lot. It has a lot of things that coincide with. What's you know going. what? I got to wait. You know my criticism of millennials, and some millennial confronted me. Uh, what's today too? Like last Wednesday or Thursday, about how I don't have know any millennials so how would i fucking know i go i'm married to a millennial my ex-wife's a millennial my son's a millennial what are you fucking talking about i'm surrounded by millennials i know millennials <laughs> <laughs> hey, what, what was this what was this you point? know what the millennial so the so the gen xer generation's motto is hang tough don't give up no matter what fuck you fuck mm -hmm. you and the millennial one is could we do it tomorrow <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Could we do it tomorrow? Bro? Like, like, I'm like, not feeling safe. Like we were out of diapers. We were out of diapers yesterday, last night. And uh and you know, because he didn't want to stop. And I said, Well, we gotta stop. And she goes, I have two left. And I'm like, we gotta stop. So I, I run in to get diapers, right? And she says, just get a little pack. So, you know, don't take so long because we can always get diapers tomorrow. I was at the <laughs> store. I could have bought a whole case of them. But I was so anxious from like, we got to hurry and get home to do nothing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it is a real difference. So it is shocking that, you know, um, no matter what, you just, you just keep on keeping on. Like I've, I, that's what I was taught by my dad and um, and my mom. My mom was tenacious. She was miserable, but she was tenacious. Um, but but I also grew up around a nursing home, so I wanted to get back to Culver City. So and maybe this has to do with not giving up because, or I think living life to its fullest. If you grew up around a nursing home, which was our family, my mom's side of the family's business. 
So I would get off of school and you got to understand this is like third grade. How about this, Chuck? If anybody okay. knows Culver City's layout, Overland goes down to Venice Boulevard and then it goes to Washington Boulevard. And just to the left of Overland and Washington Boulevard is St. Augustine's Catholic Church and School where I went. And so I would walk to school. We lived on, on Prospect and Venice Boulevard. I would walk to school, right? And then from, you know, like six, eight blocks uh, right off Venice Boulevard in Culver City, I would walk to school in the morning. I would be at school all day, you know, managing my life at eight years old. Then I would walk after school to my family's nursing home on Overland and, and um, Palm. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and my mom like did accounting there. She would be there. My uncle Bob, who I'm named after ran it. My aunts all worked there. So I'd walk there after school and then certain days, if it was activities day, I would work with the activities director and I would call bingo because they thought it was really good for the patients. If a little boy was calling bingo. So I would call bingo, like the person doing the activities you know, there's all these old folks with their bingo cards in the in the in the main room, and then I the lady would spin the wheel, and I would reach my hand in, and I'd say B seven B seven when I was like eight years old for all these dying people. <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> was I mean? that Bob? Was that like? <laughs> <laughs> that was like you moved from Palm Springs to Culver City. Well, it was well. Here's how it went. So I was born in LA, and the three when I was three days old, they adopted me and rushed me down to the desert because my family, my parents didn't want their friends to see that they had adopted a baby. Oh, and so really? when it was safe to come back to LA, when I was five to go to kindergarten, by that time, you know. People had been down to the desert. Oh, yeah, we had another baby, even though my mom was like 44 and had a hysterectomy. I don't know how, how she had a baby. <laughs> it was a miracle. What about <laughs> what about the bar and the and the nursing home? Did they just drive into town to do that stuff? No, no. My mom didn't work at the nursing home. When we came back to LA, she did. Oh. My dad lived in our LA house. And drove down to the desert on the weekends. So he oh, worked during the week and then came down to the desert. Then he retired when I was like 11 or 12 and we moved down there permanently. I got it. Like, so went to, but, a, so I went, went to, I went, went to, to Catholic a school. Private at Catholic school. Private. I went Catholic. to Catholic school in Inglewood and then I went to Catholic school in Culver City and then I went to public school in the desert. And so, um, and it was weird. Like my dad wasn't there during the week. It was just my mom and my two sisters. My sister mom didn't live with us for some reason. No one ever explained it. <laughs> why? Is, <laughs> why is, here's the thing. When I was born, my sisters were 12, 15, and 16. And all this, and no one ever, you know, I was dumb too. Like, well, I'm just a baby. But even when I started to catch on, like, how come the 15-year-old doesn't live at home? That's where Bob went to school. That's where Bob Yeah, that's St. Augustine's. And right behind <laughs> the, I used to be an altar boy in that school, right? In that church right there in the mornings. Yeah, I'll show you a picture of the inside. And you know what? I want to say <laughs> something right now in defense of the Catholic Church. I was a pretty cute little boy. Right, there it is. I used to do, I used to do 
that to the right where that man is sitting, that's where I got accosted um, because I took the host out of my mouth, Chuck, at my first communion. Oh, you. Because <laughs> I was I trying to show everyone it's just fucking bread. It's not the <laughs> body of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> even, even, oh my god even at that age i was like doesn't turn to because we were freaked out like it turns to flesh and blood in your mouth like no it doesn't it's just a wafer and so i got caught because i pulled it out of my mouth to show everyone see it's just a cracker you fucking idiots and uh, oh my god and they and then and the, one of the nuns saw me and pulled me out by my ear like out of the <laughs> aisle and brought me to the mother superior's office. But so I went to St. Augustine, I went to St. Francis Cabrini in Inglewood. And then I went to St. Augustine's in Culver city. And the fact was I was a very cute little boy, Chuck. I was very cute. Mm -hmm. And I, okay. nobody molested me. Like somebody needs to stand <laughs> up for the Catholic church a little bit here. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> That's a good point. You were a cute kid, and no one, no one took the no bait. No one did anything inappropriate. Boy, I, did I you love, get lucky? Here's the thing: mm -hmm. I'm an atheist, but I love the Catholic Church. Like I don't know why, and I respect it more so than this born again Christian make it up as you go. God is your butler bullshit. Go, oh, Jesus, talk to me. There's no no Catholics are talking about Jesus talk to them this morning. <laughs> like it's all. It's all done through orthodoxy <laughs> and thousands of years of practice. Like there's rules, there's rules to Catholicism. There's no rules to this evangelical Christianity. It's just like whatever you want it to be. Oh, you you, you need a Cadillac, you know, like it's ridiculous. So, 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 <laughs> so it's true. And you know why evangelical Christianity no, is why? so popular? I have a whole philosophy about it. Because people are narcissistic assholes. And it appeals to narcissism that Jesus likes you the best. So you're number one with Jesus. Jesus oh. talks to you. Jesus looks out for you. You're so special. You're so important. How is it any different than the other you're the most special person of liberalism or you're the most special person of proud boys it's all the same narcissism it really is and catholicism okay. is no you are in servitude to god <laughs> it right? is totally I'm telling you. it's a totally different trip that's for sure like agree, there man. was never in all my growing up with being a catholic there was never a time where like i could pray for something i wanted like that idea is so opposite of catholicism Right. I went to catechism and I was baptized. You were baptized by Yeah. So are you do you get any of your kids baptized? No, but we're thinking of uh, Sydney going to this Catholic school here in town. We we haven't decided about school. School is so you know what I was driving away from drop off this morning. <laughs> so oh God. I said I, like, I do sound like the most miserable man, like a cross between Larry David and like and you know, like Bill Maher or something. I, I'm not really like, like a, that. Like a Walter Matthau and Bad News I mean, Bears. Goddamn. <laughs> goddamn damn, 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 kids. Bad. No, but in real uh, life, I'm pretty miserable too. But <laughs> I'm funny about it. But it's a funny kind of miserable. Yeah. But uh, but I'm I'm telling you, it's just like I'm driving away. And I'm just like, <laughs> school is so useless at this point. It's so useless. Like... 
you know, kids can be, I don't know if you're, you know, I know you don't like all this stuff that I bring up, but kids are as dumb as rocks these days. Like the testing shows it, Chuck. Like they, only 18% of LA Unified children are, are competent in the math level of their grade. Like two plus two is four. You see it at, at everywhere you go. Like you give somebody, don't ever do this, what I do all the time. If it's 2081, I give them 21. Yeah. And yeah, their brains yeah. kind of explode. Like, what? Don't you have a credit card so I can just push a button? Dude, this is all an attack on the middle class. I'm sorry. I, I know you think I'm nuts about this, but. It is an attack <laughs> on the middle class. It's an effort to get rid of the middle class. So if you graduate high school, you cannot make it in college because you don't have the education to make it in college. So you fail. To be able to scholarship. <laughs> yeah. So you, can't you build, so you can't go anywhere past and uh, it will keep you in the ghetto. Our schools are obsolete. They're, they're, they're not teaching, you know, Dave Foster Wallace used to talk about now, college is not supposed to teach you how to think. You're supposed to know how to think before you get there. It's supposed to teach you what you can think about, right? Mm. And so here's the problem. I don't think this K through 12 are teaching people how to think. They're, keep, they're teaching children how to memorize so they mm. can pass these stupid tests that don't mean anything. I, Standardized I have, testing. I, I have I to recuse myself because... Bug being in the special classes, we opt out of testing just so he doesn't lower the uh, the overall score. Don't you think he learns more that way? I, I think if that there's they, no pressure, they have, they have, they no have a pressure? different focus, right? They do have a different focus. I mean, it's not Waldorf Waldorfian or anything, but it, it's it, it is a different way, a different style of teaching, and it is about causing him to think because in real life situations, he'll have to think. Well, I have a college professor that lives down the street. He says, at this point, the only reason education exists is to employ teachers. That's the guy that works there. Because <laughs> I swear to God, like, you know, I got different kids and they have different interests. Like Elvis is not much interested in reading or any, you know, like that, but he's interested in technology. And so he's interested in learning like things that are well beyond just like reading, writing, and arithmetic. He wants to learn how to program and how to write code for video games, right? So here's the thing. You can learn how to code and still not know how to read very well. <laughs> well it's a different, it's that's a, a, yeah. That's how specialized our world is, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that and, I, and I hear Sydney, you. Sydney loves to read. She'll read for no reason. She'll read. It's not punishment. It's not anything. She just reads. And, and who cares? But how to think, how to think. That's what's been lost by, by however the powers that be. It was the standardized testing insisted upon by the federal government. It's the teachers' unions and their power and, the, and, and teaching mediocrity. Well, and, and they switch systems to Common Core, which is three answers to the same question. That's kind of redundant, you know. It, it doesn't. It teaches. It doesn't. It, it doesn't teach how to think. Like we yeah. were taught how to think. I was taught how to think. I could challenge 
in Catholic school, you could challenge things. Well, how, you know, I remember saying, well, how do you, how do you prove that in like fifth grade saying, how do you prove that? Meaning, you know, let's debate this. You know what I mean? I don't think people know how to think anymore. Mm. Like you put a problem in front of me, I can figure it out because I can think. I think you put it in front of multiple generations right now. They don't, they don't really know. And then there's this, this kind of generalized anxiety that goes on. I think because people don't know how to think. They don't know how to decide. They don't that's know funny. how to decide things or conclude things. When that's one of the things that pops up on, you know, the uh, utilization reviews. One of them is difficulty making decisions. Yeah. And um, anxiety and depression about those things. And when I when I get a client who's in that age group and they're able to assess a situation and make a decision based on experiences or what they've learned about something, I go, man, you got a gift. You are you are head and shoulders above. Well, you know, and, it's, and, it's, and it's something that stands decide. out. I, I do this with Elvis. He he has he wants to know like you know, he gets anxious about decisions. I say, well, just decide something, and then if it's wrong, you figure it out, and then you then you realize the other thing was right. That's the only way you learn is to make a decision. If it's wrong, you go fuck. That was wrong. But if you just mm-hmm. anxiously worry whether the decision is right or wrong, and you don't make a decision, you stay in this everlasting state of anxiety. So I, I wish there was more research done about what this anxiety is that all these kids and all these generations have. Because we had to read manuals to learn how to do things, anything, how to work on a motorcycle, how to, you know, any, we had to read this manual. And um, I think YouTube has done away with the manual, although you still need to understand the manual. I don't you think know. there's a lot of understanding, just general understanding. In an era, where nobody knows how to problem solve. Nobody knows how to prioritize problems. Nobody knows how to decide. Everybody's scared of deciding, um, scared of judging, scared of making the wrong decision. That's another thing about standardized testing. There's so much anxiety that if you get it wrong, you're going to be held back and all this. Like, And I told, I told even Elijah back 20 years ago, I told him, they're not going to hold you back. They don't give a fuck. They don't give a fuck. <laughs> it, it is hard to get held back. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but all the kids live in fear that they're going to be held back. I don't think that. I don't even know that. That I don't even know that it happens. I'd have to hear from people. I'd have to talk to more people in it, who's got, who have kids in school. But I don't know that that's a thing. You can get D's and F's and not be held back. Like so, who's getting? Yeah, who's getting held back? Why are the kids all so nervous if they score low on this standardized testing? They're going to be held back. It's like it's ridiculous. Yeah, I shouldn't have gotten out of eighth grade and into high school, but that—that's what that was the beginning of the push. That was like 81, 80, 81. They're not going to hold anybody back. They just want the funding. God, they hound you if you're fucking absent. Oh my god, and and you know it's like. Oh, here's an interesting. Oh, I got to read the letter if I had it. So Sydney missed the Coachella Thursday, Friday, and then she missed it the next Friday, right? So we get this letter that says, you know, attendance is important for success and whatever. And I wanted to write back on the letter and say, really? Why then did you keep her out of school for two fucking years <laughs> if it's so 
fucking important, you lying <laughs> fucking sacks of shit. You're yeah. not angry at him, are you, Bob? No, I, I, no, I don't think he has no, feelings about but it. But I mean, is that hypocritical? You just held them out of school for two fucking years. Uh, yeah. And now that, it's of the utmost importance that for um, success. That yeah. They don't be you in know school. that they get, they get paid for it? I know. Of course. But nobody dares say that to a teacher. You know, it's like ridiculous. And the teachers aren't, aren't really in on it. Here's an interesting thing. I was talking to the IRS the other night. I've been in IRS hell for since January. The lady couldn't have been nicer. This woman, she was so great and she helped me so much. And I thanked her so much. I got the address to write a letter saying that she was so helpful, right? Wow. So then I get off the phone and I'm sitting there with my tax man and the accountant guy. And, and the accountant guy said, you know, they're always nice. The people that work at the IRS aren't assholes. The no. system is fucked up. The system's right? an asshole. <laughs> yeah, the system yeah. is fucked up. But the people that work there are good people. And they want to be helpful and they want to help yeah. you get out of the out of the ditch that you're in. And, yep. and I I haven't met a, a person that helped me so much as this woman. She was on the phone with me for like an hour. She helped me so much understand what's going on, what I need to do, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and, and that's the thing about the schools too. The teachers are great. The teachers care about kids. They spend eight hours with my kid. Like they're great. And I shouldn't be so hard on them, but they work at a system that's broken. Just like we work in healthcare, the American healthcare system is broken. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. So we have broken systems, and all we're doing is arguing about DeSantos and Trump and Biden. Is he old enough? Like, we got huge problems here, people. We've got a broken healthcare <laughs> system, a broken education system. You know, like, we should start thinking about really important problems and how to, how to, fix them instead of how much we hate our neighbor because they like Trump or something. It's yeah, just yeah. ridiculous what we've become as a people. And like I said, if the Chinese want to take America, like I think, you know, I'm odds over under three weeks, a month. I don't know how long it'd be a hell of a lot quicker than the Ukraine Russia thing. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> those, what those, Ukrainians, those Ukrainians are tough, boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know they just have to come in and promise them like can faster you imagine, internet, faster you, I, internet I, I know people games. don't like thinking about it but i like thinking about it all the time can you imagine if china just invaded los angeles right now uh, like no. what the conversations would be like like people on the west side and venice like you need dude, to stand over there. Dude, they can't do that, dude. <laughs> hey, man. They totally you know, can't do that. Hey, you know, we have rights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have rights. They have, they have, the homeless have rights. Can you imagine <laughs> the Chinese come to Venice? You think they're going to let people sleep in their front yards? Are you kidding me? It's crazy. It'd just, be like, it'd just be the biggest culture clash of all time. A military... A communist military dictatorship <laughs> versus Los Angeles liberals. <laughs> That's not a fair fight. <laughs> That's not a fair fight. The, you know, I, don't I, see, I don't see anything wrong with the statement, a slow boat to China. You know, like if you took <laughs> like a lot of these people and just put them on a slow boat to China, <laughs> then it would kind of solve a lot of problems. It would solve a lot of problems. Okay, who's picking the people that go on the slow boat? 
I'll, I'll help. My Mark. Here's the board of choosers like Mike Mar, Pete Wise, Bob Pete Boris. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Feel oh my safe. God. If that's the choosing, I'm going to be on that boat, Chuck. Oh, you, shit. You, you oh, and me both. <laughs> I could, oh, I would go so insane. When are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean shit over the side of the boat <laughs> that's that'd uh, be rough but uh so anyways it's just like it, you know i'm in the world of education and friends getting sick and like all this frenchy was over here today he's cancer free it was good to see him nice. um uh you know it's just a crazy life you know what else is happening? So Elvis drops little things that I say on this podcast. So he's listening oh. right now. He's listening to every podcast. I think some of his friends at school are listening to it. Might I be in trouble? <laughs> he might. Um, I think After their, parents, this one. Their, their parents really need to supervise what their children are doing. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that, it's crazy. Like, I, I just, I'm trying to give some light humor like take on it but i am angry about certain things like i you know when children go to school for eight years and they don't know you know you can't convince them of the dangers of of fentanyl right because i think that <laughs> no i think yeah, that they don't okay. really understand uh, the kids i'm talking to i don't think they really understand when when i say russian roulette i don't think they know what russian roulette is it's gambling in russia <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, no, I, I no, but has that ever dawned on you? Because I no. started saying it's like playing Russian roulette about five years ago, and I remember yeah, Bob, a lot of blank. Is that an app that you get on on Apple at the Apple Store? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, free free poker or whatever. No, it, it's like I don't think they know what Russian roulette is. I don't. I think they don't know a lot of things. Yeah. Hmm. And so how do you impress upon them? Yeah, no, these drugs are really dangerous. Remember, a couple of your friends have died. I don't even think they know what death is. Yeah, you got to get past a certain age before you actually realize that, oh, shit, I could die. Yeah, I don't think they realize. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. you do. You have to get like me. I mean, it, it took a long time to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I always say... The first five years of sobriety, I didn't even care if I died. I owed so much yeah, money. And my I, life was so I miserable. I thought I could never die. But yeah, but but uh, so until I was forty, I didn't care whether I lived or died. Really, I I kind of was. I don't know. I didn't. I, you can go by the evidence from like twenty four to like thirty five when I get sober. I pretty much didn't care whether I died. And then for the first five years of sobriety, I never thought I could ever have a life worth living. I never did. I it just, I kept doing one foot in front of the other, just do the next available right action, whatever AA told me to do. And I just kept doing it and it becomes habitual and your life does get, well, the, how about this? Not necessarily <laughs> happiness. Here's the thing, not necessarily happiness, but the lack of constant misery. That was enough for me. <laughs> yes. Well, that's we were talking about that in the meeting the other night. It was about the pink cloud, and it's just like you know what? Man? No, it was the every, lack of misery. Every once in a while, just just having an uneventful day where nothing goes sideways was just amazing. 
Well, I remember you know, having the last year can of my using. Explain to me about the fourth, the, the, the launched into the fourth dimension. I rocketed, I yeah, rocketed, rocketed into the fourth dimension. Yeah. What the yeah. fuck is he talking about? <laughs> but to, to think of your first few years, my first few years, um, because I would, I would spend, you know, from when you wake up or you come to at nine or eight in the morning. And you're dope sick and you have no money and you, you know, you're like rambling around what it takes to get like $40 out of the dirt before you can even stores are open that you can shoplift. That takes some talent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, then you get the $40, right? And you get to the dope man and you get a spot to do it. And then you do it and you feel nothing. Uh, and then you think you got ripped off, but then you realize, oh no, I just went from dope sick to like I'm just so do well. Dope I'm just well. Dope sick to well, which was my life was a, a train wreck. So being conscious of how I had nowhere to go and no money and nothing, it was better uh, being dope sick. The state of being dope sick and desperately trying to find money. That was like I'm on a mission, like that that single-minded purpose, right? right? <laughs> you were but as soon as you're well, but you're not high, it's and then now and now it's you. like 10:30, Chuck, and you've got nowhere to go, <laughs> nothing to do, no hope. And you're going to be up for 17 or 18 more hours. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to have to do that again eventually. Yeah. yeah. And so, right. so the only that, thing the dope did was take away your hustle. Yeah, it, it, it sums it up, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, I wasn't desperate. I was cool. And then I'd smoke some crack and then I'd be tweaked out. And then I, oh God, I'll go round and round and round. So the la the absence of that living that I had lived for a couple of years like that, that was good enough. That was a pink yeah. cloud enough. Yeah. But I never really became happy. And then simultaneously, when my life got a little better at like five, six years sober. I then started to realize, oh my God, I could die. <laughs> I just, just when it would be my luck that just when things are going good, I could die. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> I know. I, I had that thought. It's just like, you know what it's going to be? It's going to be, you know, Chuck finally turned his life around. <laughs> now there it is. And yeah, right? there it is. Yeah, and there it is. You got Parkinson's or something. That was the. Yeah, because I heard of a, you know what? I a lot thought of I had that thing. My hands used to shake a lot. See, they're pretty steady now. Left one's shaking a little bit, but my hands used to really shake, even when I was like two or three years sober. And I thought I had uh, what what Doctor Drew told me was you can get this thing called drug induced Parkinsonian uh, symptoms or whatever. Oh, that sounds right. Terrible. <laughs> and so then I thought I had it, and then. Um, as I got older, I stopped drinking as much coffee as I used to drink coffee morning, <laughs> noon, and night. And then I stopped and my hands stopped shaking. You had coffee-induced <laughs> Parkinsonian <laughs> symptoms. Good for you. Whoa. That is a lot of fucking coffee. For years. For years <laughs> I thought I had it. But I bet uh, you stayed thin. Yeah, well, I, the nicotine gum helps you too. So, yeah, you know, I I have a whole month off of any kind of tobacco. I, I, I'm not smoking pipe, cigar, or anything. A whole month, one month. No. Oh, good for you. Why'd you choose that? Uh, just why, you know? That well, was that was you know Nikki Showbeck. His his yeah. thing. He he'd never smoked cigarettes, and he was a, he was a problem just like us. And he 
I go, dude, you never smoked? And he goes, nope, never saw the upside. Yeah. yeah and I just, just I wish I had that mindset. I would have saved so much money and so much time because it, it doesn't, it's not enough of a high to worth fighting for, but it's a motherfucker to give up, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's it, Gloria used to say, nobody ever robbed a bank to buy a pack of cigarettes. Yeah. So I don't really like ever saying it's the same, but it certainly causes other diseases. So it's something you want to cut out eventually. Yeah. It, it just is. And, and you know, I, listen, it's about, it's about quality of life. And, and I thought, somebody said to me, would you rather, if you had to, one of your um, things taken away, right? Sight, hearing, um speech uh what are the what are the five senses <laughs> I forget. see hear smell touch taste yeah if one of those could get taken away what would you take away and i i just said smell you know uh taste taste or uh, taste and smell are about the same thing but but I don't know. Uh, you know, food would hearing, you just be chewing just to chew. Food wouldn't have any flavor. I don't like food. I don't like food. Well, then I don't then like. You it. picked a good one. Yeah, I picked a good one. <laughs> but to not to not be able to hear, I think, and then they, they you know it leads the conversation of what's the worst. I think I think I could live without seeing, but oh. I don't think I think it would drive me nuts to not be able to hear. To not be able to hear uh, music, to not be able to talk, to not yeah. be able to converse. Like that's yeah, you're right. So so you know I, do we I'm have already, to pick one? I don't I'm like already it. half blind anyways. I don't yeah, I, if you, you know, took the away smell, is, you wouldn't have to smell like farts and smog <laughs> and you know, all kinds of fucking the world, bad smell. So, you know, the world on top is of the not, good ones, you know, it kind of evens out. Well, as long oh, as you shit. can, you know, the, <laughs> like I live in I live in paradise, but as soon as you drive like five miles from here, it's like crazy, uh, you know, ugliness. The world is kind of ugly. The world, the world man has made is kind of ugly. Dude. The world nature, <laughs> the world nature gave us is kind of beautiful. Like, oh, I don't fantastic. know if it, aesthetically, yeah. now somebody would argue, oh, that's just your preference or aesthetics or whatever. No, like nature has a, has a beauty and a tranquility and a, and a silent, you know, just a presence to it that the cacophony of stupidity down there at Target at Foothill, a few miles from my house, there's nothing <laughs> pretty about it. Uh, so, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know like exactly what you mean. Like, there's some man made things are beautiful, like the Chrysler building in New York's beautiful, the Disney Hall's beautiful. But for the most part, what man has made, like strip malls and malls and freeways, is pretty fucking ugly. You gotta admit that. <laughs> That's the mark of capitalism, right there, man. Just build strip as malls? cheap as you can. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot of that stuff over in, in in older places. That is a fairly new. Like the Brooklyn Bridge is amazing. Golden Gate Bridge is amazing. There are amazing things that man has made. But I mean, there is a big, big land grab going on in L.A. right now, man. This man has never made something as beautiful as a 200-year oak tree, 150-year oak. What tree. about the cell towers that look like trees? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what they look like? They look like they look like. 
they look like telephone poles with sticks sticking out with astroturf on them. Yeah, I know. I know. It's it's sad. It's like the cheapest. They're thinking why, the cheapest. Why try and hide them? They want because, it to be the cheapest because they're they're the ones that are supposed to be trees are. It's more annoying to me because it's like that's not a tree. What do you know? What I mean, it's like something about it just doesn't sit right. The the but, arms are. It's all the all the limbs are at the top, and they're real. They're all short. It's kind of like a weird Christmas tree. Yeah, so you know where there's a lot of them around Disneyland, Anaheim, Buena Park, the ninety one. There's a lot of them around there. How can you tell? <laughs> they look like trees. Well, How there's no trees them? around that whole area. So then when there is one, you look at it and go, that's not a tree. What the fuck is wrong with that tree? That fake ass tree. <laughs> hey, you know, if you want to go to Disneyland, now's the time. Like I, I we were there a week ago. How about this? In the middle of Disneyland, right? In the middle of Disneyland. I bump into a woman. I look over to the side and I'm like, uh, I, I'm like, excuse me. And I don't really ever look people in the eye. I was like, excuse me. And, um, and then I looked and I turned. It's my friend's wife. He was him and his two kids were there. Like in Aww. the middle of Disneyland, like 50,000 people. I bumped into my friend's wife. How crazy That's cool. is that? Yeah, did you guys cool. hang out the rest of the day, or did you do? No, you no, they were, just go, they were on a birthday. <laughs> they were on a birthday mission. They were going to. Yeah, have you been on the Mickey Railroad Runaway? They were going there. They had the no. reservation. Mickey Railway. Oh, it's so good. No, I haven't. I haven't been there in years and years. Oh yeah, like uh, Mike goes there. I've seen Mike there. I've bumped into Mike there. I've bumped into a lot of people at Disneyland. Remember well, that, you, Mike? Yep. When you go as often as you do, and you know as many people as you know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> a chance. yeah, I wouldn't run into any of my two or three friends. <laughs> and then I had this weird thing. My friend Dave had an old friend of his over to watch basketball uh, two Saturdays ago. You watched I went the to Lakers elementary yesterday? school. Yeah, I watched it. This is the Lakers game what, like two weeks ago. What'd you think of that? The ending of that game, man. That was a pretty exciting game, man. Like, oh, yeah. Well, the, oh. the Lakers are on mission from God, it seems like. Yeah. So were, um that was amazing. Yeah, I had to I owe Flea twenty dollars. You know, we <laughs> bet I try to bet I try to bet things <laughs> that I can afford. <laughs> And he's, he's like, you want to bet a hundred? And I was like, no, how about 20? <laughs> okay. And the bet, okay, was, <laughs> the bet was who will go farther in the playoffs, the Clippers, the Lakers. I had the Clippers. He had the Lakers. People were convinced the Golden State Warriors were going to win. I was like, nah, I don't think no. If the Lakers win it all, it just, now you've got a conversation that LeBron is equal to Michael Jordan. You really do. Because he'll have won, he'll have won. Five championships with three different franchises over over three different decades. There, there are things that LeBron is doing that Michael Jordan never did. That, that's all I'm saying. Michael Jordan, the most he scored in a game was 63 against Boston, and they lost. His team lost. Oh, which, shit. I thought it was which more is, than that. No, Will Chamberlain had 100. Oh, Kobe, oh. Had, Kobe had 81, I think. Wow. Kobe Bryant, like that. Uh, 
God, how sad is that? Kobe Bryant. Jordan so, was a 63-point masterpiece. Is, oh, my God. Yeah, and they, they did. Lost. They lost to the Celtics, 135 to 131. That's a, yeah. I would have loved to see Bird that game. Was playing? Was that when Larry Bird was playing? It was I in 1986. So. It was yeah, double Larry overtime, Bird. according to the interweb. How, cra- how crazy is it you score 63 points and lose? How fucking pissed are you when you go back? <laughs> you must be fucking crappy. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> how mad at one you, of you made a basket your, how mad at your co- teammates are you like <laughs> 63 you guys can't make one basket <laughs> they just, just keep one. passing it to jordan just one <laughs> but uh you know i was the drug counselor to mr dennis rodman i don't know if you know that and i, I don't said think you can say that I said, uh, yeah, because it was on television. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. (laughs) He signed away with HIPAA rights to be on the show. So, you know, I got to know him pretty well and we talked and I, I asked him like, like what, what was the deal with the bulls? And he said, well, what most people don't know, because all the focus is on Michael is Scottie Pippen was the second best player in the NBA. So, and Rodman was very, very honest about it. He said, if Kobe had Pippen or this, you know, he said, look at Kobe and Shaq. Shaq's the greatest player. Kobe's the second greatest player. What happens? They win three in a row. Shaq leaves. Kobe can't win. Shaq wins one. Just, you know, Jordan, every game Jordan played, Scottie Pippen was on the floor. Mm. So when you got the second best player with the best player, you're going to win, right? And that's according to Dennis, the Rodman who guarded everybody and guarded Pippen when he was on San Antonio and when he was on the Lakers. So I love basketball. It's basketball season right now. It's a time where you talk about who is the greatest of the greats and who who's average. There's these people that are just great during the regular season when it comes to the playoffs. They just kind of disappear like Chris Paul. Like he just always injured or he disappears and, and, you know, Kevin, Kevin Durant's a little disappearing right now. Um, but man, Embiid today was so great. LeBron is so great. Anthony Davis disappears sometimes, but you know, who never disappears. Steph Curry. Never, never. Never. I think Steph Curry might be the greatest player of this era. Really? He never disappears. He's always kind of right in somebody's you know, sort of... Who's he play for? Golden State. Oh, Golden State, the Warriors. But, I mean, he's mm. only six foot three, so nobody gives him any respect. But he gets he right in there and gives, like, shit talk and all kinds he, of stuff. Oh, yeah. He's, so, it's basketball season, baseball season starting. Um and life is good, but there's a lot of problems. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there are a lot of problems. Okay, here's one question for you. And let's do this with people at home if you can email in. This came up in a really kind of heated debate with my friends uh, that I work with. What is the greatest album ever made? Oh, now, what? it's subjective. Uh, it's subjective. Depends and on it's my individual. Mood too. It's to the individual, right? Mm-hmm. But you're just measuring, just scope, impact, influence, influence over your over you as an individual's lives. 
And to me, it's measure that you can't measure that because you know how important. uh, Okay, well, mine is Exile on Main Street. Why? It has so many different types of music. It's got Slim Harpo. It's got gospel, uh, Soul Survivor. It's got the great. It's got the greatest line ever written in rock: "The sunshine bores the daylights out of me." But it's not. It's it's not uh, um, landscape changing. I think the White Album was landscape changing. Okay, then you choose the White Album. <laughs> right? Although I agree with you that Exile on Main Street was a huge influence in most. It influenced my life more lot. than more than anything, yeah. really. And then you know, and then my friend said Pet Sounds. Klinghoffer thinks pet sounds, but it um, wasn't his pop. It was, I mean, the, the yeah, look how huge well, well, the White pet, Album was. Everybody, every time I see like uh, old movies where they're talking about older people in music, that that generation, the sixties, seventies, they always talk so highly of pet sounds. Pet sounds and is how, a beautiful. They and do how, now, how, but at the time they did not. At the time, it well, was what does it un- matter at the time? No, at the un- time, Mike, you're wrong. At the time, John Lennon and Paul McCartney listened to it together and said, "Oh my God, one guy is better than us." <laughs> one guy, and so, and what did they do? They made Sergeant Pepper, inspired by hearing that. I think, or no. yeah, yes, Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> Look it up, Chuck. So <laughs> what happens is, and this is why competition is good, and millennials want competition to go away. Brian Wilson hears "Rubber Soul" by the by the Beatles, and he that says, sounds was sixty six, and Sergeant Pepper was sixty seven. It's yeah. inspired by Pet Sounds. But but Pat Sounds was inspired by Rubber Soul. That's iron sharpening iron is exactly what that is. Yes. You know? So and so, Rubber Soul was 65. So you got there you go. Rubber Soul 65. You got 66 with Pat Sounds and 67 Sergeant Pepper. Thank God they were in competition but the with each other. The quote is it's one guy. <laughs> it's just one guy. <laughs> it's one guy. <laughs> We yeah. got all four of us. It's one guy. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so so everybody has their choices, whether it's pet sounds or exile or whatever. And every and it's I understand it's individual to to the person, right? But there's a lot of people influenced by individual records, right? The White Album is a big one. Um, Sergeant Pepper used to be a big one, not so much anymore. Sergeant Pepper sort of launched the uh, rock opera. You know, there were not rock operas before. So I would say that Sergeant Pepper had more of an influence on other, you know, than, than the who came out with. Right. I, I said, uh, well, the, influence, know, influence was, is only one part of it. The influence on the culture, influence on other artists. There's lots of different ways to influence something. But here's the thing. Okay. So, so one of the biggest artists in the world is the weekend. I don't know if you know this, Mike, but he's, he's like, he's huge. He's like, he's the guy when it comes to pop, hip hop, right? His record is thriller. Cause yeah. he's like 35 years old or 36 and I years was old. I was going to say thriller. Thriller. Right. Yes. Thriller is one of the ones. Now it didn't do it for me, 
I still don't even think it's his best record. I, I like off the wall no, better. But see, he probably wasn't even looking at how it affected other people. But at the age it hit him when he was exposed to it, because when you're talking, I, I remember like there was Ramon's Road to Ruin, the Dead Boys, First Generation Nation and, and Sex Pistols were like three records that even though I was listening to all this hippie stuff were just boom. It was so it was so different. And and never mind the Bullocks will never be the a greatest album on anybody's list, but it certainly changed the trajectory of my life. It was, you know, uh it was it was a disappointment because I was obsessed with all the journal, you know, the stuff about them. When they were on tour, the CBS Evening News opened with what they had done that day. I mean, the Sex Pistols were a <laughs> phenomenon. Like, they thought the end of West, they were going to be the end of Western civilization. Well, the media really caught That might have been the, the beginning Pistols. of the end. And so, and so, you know, the album couldn't live up to the hype of what they had caused in the world. You know what I mean? But what about London Calling? What about that? Right. What about the impact of London Calling? Like London Calling took punk rock to the next level. It said well, it, it doesn't have to sound like the Dead Boys or the Ramones or the Sex Pistols. Right. It can sound like anything. I would say Led Zeppelin changed the face of rock and roll. Well, I think Rick Wakeman had more to do with the inspiration of punk rock. And I think oh, people, my. here's the thing. Because I, I talked, because I talked, now we're getting no, no, because <laughs> I've talked, because here's I've the, talked, here's the fourth dimension. We've been rocketed. <laughs> I've talked to the Sex Pistols. I've talked to John Lydon. I've talked to Steve Jones. I've talked to Keith Levine. I've talked to Joe Strummer. I haven't talked to any of them. They all <laughs> like Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin changed the face of rock and roll. Everyone likes Led Zeppelin. Hmm. It wasn't Led Zeppelin that punk inspired punk. It was Yes and Rick Wakeman and and all the Kansas and all that horrible shit that inspired it. The, like I don't, I definitely <laughs> don't think it was Led Zeppelin. Are you kidding? Come on, wizards climbing up the hill, you know, the whole <laughs> fucking shebang. That was that, <laughs> dude. All I know is. Wizards. Uh, uh, Keith Levine. Keith Levine. Keith <laughs> yeah. Levine loved Keith Levine. Yes, I loved it. When I when I was hanging out with him, he loved this song on physical graffiti called In My Time of Dying. Yeah. And he says that's like the guitar sound. Like that's one of the sounds I I like that synthesizer sound. And he was obsessed with Jimmy Page's synthesizer guitar sounds on presence. Yeah. Right. Well, what are you saying? I'm saying that it was good. It was, it, it was def like it defined a whole seventies generation. Led I think Led Zeppelin album. gets, gets blamed for the punk rock revolution. I don't think it's true. I think it's all the other awful stuff. Led Zeppelin was always in a category of its own to me, but anyways, so let's get <laughs> let's get your album, Chuck. What is the one album that influenced uh, your? Uh, you could say influenced your life the most. Uh, it would probably have to be that it would ha probably have to be never mind the bollocks when it happened because I wasn't aware of the other stuff. I wasn't, I was, I was nine and 10 years old, you know, in 1977, I was 10 years old. So I was listening to kiss 
Kiss. I loved Kiss. Kiss was can huge. Kiss Alive? Wait a minute. Can Kiss Alive be one of a person's record? I think it can. Do you know what? Maybe, maybe <laughs> it, maybe the Kiss Alive. Not even two because I got that as a Christmas present. But Kiss Alive. I don't know how long I spent with that gatefold cover open, listening to the drum solo on Hundred Thousand Years, even though it was ten minutes and it was boring, and listening to that stuff and just imagining that shit. It 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 was. It was so many different levels. It wasn't just music. Mike, what album? What album represents or influenced you the most? What what it is was, it? It was Iggy Pop. It was Raw Power. Raw Power. That's a that I would say that's Dix's. That's solid. You know, I mean, that's a very inspirational record. When I heard that, it changed my whole That's what I'm talking about. A record psyche. that changes your whole And identity. how old were you? Probably 13. 14 because i was because i can tell you exile on main street exile on main street gave me and i didn't really start listening to it till like i was like 25 or 26 it gave me this idea that like you don't have to be who you think you are you could be like it just is an inspirational thing about how you can live as an outlaw right because a lot of the stuff that I was obsessed with, the replacements or the jam, or it was more like identity, like teen identity stuff. Mm -hmm. but, the, but the Rolling Stones challenge you to be an adult and say, you know, are you a conformist or a nonconformist? And I chose nonconformist. When I heard raw power, uh, you know, and we would turn it up as loud as we could possibly get it and just wreck the fucking house. You know what I mean? Light couches on fire, break things, right. smash shit up, man. Just fucking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was the most. Music to light fire, couches on fire by. <laughs> yeah, that was the most exhilarating freedom that I could have. It was like, I, I don't know. Exile was just adulthood to me. It was like, you're yeah. responsible for you, how you want to live your life. The rest of it was, the things that I was really into were like, us against them teenage rebellion which is the jam the replacements the clash i liked but i liked you know i didn't really understand the clash but when i like just exon main street it's exon main street and i think everybody should pick a record tell us what your record is and why what it represents to you why it's you why why it's so important to you because exon main street said to me you're a fucking adult decide for yourself live by your own rules die by your own rules and you i know, took that and i took that challenge right you know th this is a band that played three days after their founder died they talk about hang tough don't give up no matter what are you fucking kidding me <laughs> they, they, don't, they played three weeks after charlie watts died they don't fucking stop they don't stop and it's and it and he describes it. Mick Jagger is a great lyricist and he doesn't get enough credit. He describes it on that record. You fucking this is this is this is life. And and don't be a sniveler and fucking decide and live or die by your decisions. That's what Exxon Main Street is. So all you stretched out in room 1009 with a smile on your face, a tear right in your eye. Oh, <laughs> couldn't seem to get a line on if you. If you want, I'll tell you a little story after we sign up. Okay. 
All, All right. right. Well, what record is the record that represents you the most? And don't do fentanyl. I don't know if we've talked enough about fentanyl tonight, Chuck. We, we have don't it. do it. Stay don't away it. from fentanyl. It's no good. It's not a good drug. Stick with your heroin, your cocaine, your meth. Try to make sure that your heroin, cocaine, or meth don't have fentanyl in it. Yeah. Uh, Try to not do fentanyl. That would be my advice. To all of America. Do some critical thinking about your drugs. Do your drugs. I'm not saying don't do drugs. Do your drugs. Just try to think a little bit. Use a little frontal lobe development. There, like, you, go. there you go. All right. Sign so out. see you later. Talk right. to you later. Adios. Yeah. Good night, Elvis. Go to sleep. God damn it. Turn the fucking thing off. <laughs> I busted. <laughs>